You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Happy Monday, and it is a Saints game day here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here on this beautiful, little warm Monday afternoon. Producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh, who decided that today he was going to be a copycat and, and wear the exact same jacket as me. Hello, James. How are you? Definitely wasn't planned. Mm, sure. You know, I have a feeling that this was the thought in your head. Oh, okay. This this is how that went. This is how you think it goes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is how it went. No, this is not how I think it. This is how I know it went. Oh, okay. You got up probably about 1030. And, you know, you... <laughs> That's pretty you, accurate you, so far. <laughs> you, took, you, took a, you took a shower. You maybe no. ate some breakfast. No. Okay. You, so you just admitted on air that you didn't shower today. That's disgusting. You're acting like you can't shower the night before? <laughs> And you're looking at your closet, and you said, you know, what would Matt wear? Because I want to be just like Matt. Uh-huh. And you said, you know, Matt's probably going to go with his with his little gray jacket. So I- I'm going to wear the same thing. Oh, is that it? That's it. Okay. That's how it went. Well, no, I didn't shower this morning. No I, no, I didn't eat breakfast. I showered last night. What do you want? And no, I didn't see it in my closet because I had washed this yesterday. So it was still, I was taking it out of. Oh, so you've been thinking about it since yesterday, how you wanted to dress like me. Got it. Got it. Buddy. You this need, you, this you, man's you need, assuming. You need hobbies. This man's assuming. You need making hobbies. an ass out of you and me. You need hobbies. On today's edition of Crunch Time. James and I are going to recap the weekend, including LSU's loss in the SEC Championship game to Georgia, the United States getting bounced out of the World Cup, and so much more. We'll also preview the Saints game tonight. We'll talk some bowl games. We'll talk some crazy contracts in the MLB. And does college football have free agency now? Yeah. The game hotline is 337-706-0111 here in Acadiana. You can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. Your poll question of the day. What is your biggest, who is your biggest X factor in tonight's Saints game? Is it the Saints offense? Is it the Saints defense? Is it Tom Brady? Or is it other? I love how you named two units and then... A player. Well, I I couldn't think of like a specific player on each side of the ball that like could be a difference maker because like Devin White. It's not Andy. Well, I'm I'm, I'm whatever. De- Demario Davis. But it's Tom Brady. Well, that's why I'm saying it's fine with Tom Brady. But I was giving I was giving you individual players that would really make an impact in the well, game. I, well, I was just talking about the Saints. Oh. Because I just wanted it to be Saints Saints. And then does does Tom Brady change the game or, or whatever? Lucas Kroll. Oh God. Anyways, <laughs> and then you see Ton, who's who got he's, a comment really early on. He's spot on. Eternal optimist. 
Pathetic coaching slash play calling. I mean, yeah. Coaching and, and play calling have not been great. However, Tom Brady cannot beat the Saints. He has struggled to beat the Saints in the regular season throughout his career. He's four and one, or he's one and four, excuse me, against the Saints since joining Tampa. Now, this is a different team than, than he has faced the last couple of years. But I think that this is a game that not only the Saints need to win. James, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I think the Saints do win tonight. Ooh. I think they do win tonight. This guy. It's not going to be pretty. No. It's not going to be, you know, they're not going to light up the scoreboard. I'd, I, I'm thinking like a 21-17 type of game. Ooh. High scoring for for these two standards. I mean, I guess. Um, it, it's just going to be one that you're just going to have to grind out. Because you, you look at Christmas last year, the Saints won 9-zip. Yeah. Week two, and then, and week then, two, you, they won twenty to ten, and then the year before that, you beat them thirty-eight to three in Tampa. So I mean, you never know, you never know. But um, I also I also look at one of the Facebook comments, <laughs> Salty Steve, Salty Steve, we love Salty Steve. What a classic X Factor, Simon Cowell, the next QB. This team has no heart, coach has no brain, and none of them have any courage. They ought to be used in a Wizard of Oz remake. Oof. The Saints are like my fantasy team. They are both hard to look at. Oh. Rob said Taysom Hill. That's fair. That's fair. It's fair if they actually get him involved and like he actually well, starts doing something because eh, they don't they don't like to give him the ball too often. It's weird. Okay. Uh, and then and then Richie Champagne, which funny. Did you ever look at that as a kid and was like, champagne? Champagne. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it wasn't until like I was in the fifth grade that somebody told me no, it was champagne. To, for me, it was uh, eighth grade, I think, because I always heard champagne, but I never saw it spelt out, and I always saw champagne spelt out. Right. And I was like, okay, well... It, uh, well, they're spelled and, the same. And my, yeah. And, my, and one of my teachers in eighth grade was uh, Miss Champagne. I was, and did you call her Miss Champagne? And yeah, well, multiple people did early on. Obviously, she would get that all the time. So she right, was like, right. no, it's Champagne. I was like, oh, interesting. Oh so, that, so it's spelled the same. But uh, no, Richie said controlling the refs. Uh, yeah. yeah. Look, you know. Slip them a couple 20s. Maybe maybe they'll be nice. Look, I, obviously, I don't I don't live under a rock. I know it. I know it appears like the, the the league is out to get the Saints, and and a lot of the times I believe that that is true. However, I'm also a big believer of playing well enough to where the refs don't matter. I was gonna say I'm a big proponent of not shooting yourself in the foot. Correct, correct. Play, maybe maybe not have the false starts. Maybe play well enough to where you can sit there and go, yeah, you know that is a bad call, but whatever. Still up ten. Right, like we're good. Like let's have some of that before, you know, we start saying, "Oh well, you know, the refs cheated us." Instead of instead of you being like, "Oh man, we've been down this whole game. We're fighting back," because and then I, and then it comes down to a big third down penalty when they take a deep shot and you kind of you have some contact and it's a big moment in the game because oh man, there's uh thirty seconds left. Because even and you even, give them a free first down so they can kick the field goal to either win or whatever. Even going back to the no no call, that's the worst. 
lack of a call in NFL history. But man, you had you had so many chances early on that game. Dan Arnold doesn't drop that pass in the end zone. I was going to say you don't settle for field goals. You don't you settle got for short field goals. Fields, sh- short fields whenever then, you get interceptions. And then even when you got into overtime, Drew doesn't throw that pick. I mean, which, that, which that was tough because Leonard Floyd hit a hit him. Well, right as he was throwing, and then I don't even know what happened, but like I remember the DB just pushes off and just kind of falls back, and he catches it because the ball just somehow lands right. He's like, "Get off me, Mike." It just lands right on his chest. It's so weird. I love how you're backing away from the microphone. You got to give the effect. Oh my god. Um, and, and so like again, obviously the refs make bad calls, but you you just got to find a way. Great teams find a way to overcome that. And, and so if, if the Saints want to be a great team, they're, they're going to have to figure out a way to do that. Uh, over the weekend, like I said, LSU fell in the SEC championship game, fifty to thirty. We will recap that with Wilson Alexander. I never thought I'd see the day that a team set the conference championship game record for passing yards and yet still lost by three scores. I mentioned it, how we always talk about these statistics where it's like, man, if I told you so-and-so so did this, or with this case, LSU, if I told you LSU threw for 500 yards, do you think they would win? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Well, I would. <laughs> jokes on you. They lost by three touchdowns. They also ran for forty-seven yards, which actually felt kind of surprising because I didn't think they ran for that much. The the rushing game was non-existent. No, because because they were so they had such an emphasis and I was, on stopping the run. And I was like, worried. Look, pass it all you want. It doesn't matter because you're gonna I leave. Was, you're gonna leave Bro- Brock Bowers on wide open slants. Anyway, I was, I was worried that the running game wouldn't be there and that was going to be a problem. Um. But, you know, beyond that, probably the news of the weekend, Deion Sanders is now the head coach at Colorado. And he is already in Boulder. He's already had his introductory press conference. And he's already held a team meeting with his new players. And he told them they all sucked. (laughs) Here's a quote from Deion. Is it the culture one? Kind of. We've got a few positions already taken care of because I'm bringing my luggage with me. And it's Louie. Referring to Louis Vuitton. I'm coming. And when I get here, it's going to be changed. So I want y'all to get ready to go ahead and jump in that portal and get whatever you're going to get. Because if more of you jump in, the more room you make for me. Damn. That is... that. Uh, now look, he's not wrong. No, because they were 1-11 this year. He's not wrong. But man. The, the cojones on you to walk in a room day one. And just say, look, you got to be this, 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 and this. And if you're not, get out. I mean, that, that is just. But the, probably the, the funniest thing 
was there was a interview with the athletic director, Rick George. And he was asked by a reporter how the university came up with the money to hire Dion. Word for word, he said, we don't have it yet, but I'm certain that we will. (laughs) Word for word. Now look, obviously, you were 1 in 11. Money's, Money's a little... You know, non-existent. Might be a little tight right now. You got, we're, you're on a budget. PR 101. You do not tell a reporter when they are there to cover you hiring Dion Sanders. Well, we don't have the money yet. We basically wrote him an IOU. We're hoping that it comes in. We're about to go get a loan from the bank. <laughs> right. Right. Like, What? I mean, granted, it worked out because now, you know, NIL money is just flying in and, and players are begging to go play in Colorado. But it's, I mean, simple PR. Don't say that out loud. All you could have said was just, we have a plan. No, we have a plan. That is something we discuss internally. Blah, blah, blah. We're not, I, I don't care to get into that matter right now. Move on. Oh, man. But anyways, coach, we're, we're, we're printing money ourselves. Coach Prime leading the buffs. Does that work out? I mean, obviously we're gonna have to wait and see. Coach Prime, Shadur Sanders. Supposedly he's bringing Travis Hunter with him. Six and six feels realistic. Which, by the way, if he takes a one and eleven team to six and six in his first year. I mean, Jesus. I mean, who what, knows? What more, what more do you want? Who knows? Maybe it's seven and five. If if he turn if he turns them around to seven and five, he might only be there for a year. I mean, somebody would pay him even more than what Colorado's already paying him. Because, like, I, I think you you see who they play because they play USC. Correct. You play Oregon. Correct. Utah. You play Utah. like UCLA. Because like with those, you feel like, okay, well, th- those are probably going to be losses. But it may only be like a, by 10 points, maybe even a score. Maybe they only get edged out by 14. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it's it's a lot more competitive. No, for sure. And it, and it actually it, it makes the other teams kind of sweat. And then, you know, two years from now, when USC and UCLA are in the Big Ten, does that maybe change things? Does Colorado maybe become a contender under Deion Sanders? Those are those are things that, that people have to look at and think about long term. Uh, so this is this is going to be an interesting move to see. I, I guarantee you, I'm going to want to watch as many Colorado football games as I can find. That'll be entertaining. There's there's no doubt about that. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek of the new Whitney Houston biopic, I Want to Dance with Somebody. That's right, you can see it before anyone else by simply texting Whitney to 68683. That is Whitney 
to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek December 20th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the I Want to Dance with Somebody sneak preview brought to you by A. Bryant's Jewelers and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Take a time out. When we return, James and I will recap the LSU-Georgia game plus hear from Brian Kelly following the game. Right here on the game, 23-7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers in southwest Louisiana. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back here on Crunch Time, man. Miguez, James Mesh, 22 after the hour, recapping the SEC championship game where LSU fell to Georgia by the final score of 50 to 30. LSU falls to nine and four on the year, six and two in the conference, while Georgia remains the number one team in the nation at 13 and 0. They finished a perfect eight and 0 in the SEC. This was a game that really appeared to be all Georgia from the jump. You know, it was the this game, you, you started off with LSU getting the ball first and doing a, a pretty nice job of moving the ball down the field. They forced Georgia into a punt situation. They got the, LSU got the ball first, punted. Georgia comes out, goes three and out. LSU gets the ball back, has a great drive, gets all the way down to the Georgia 7, actually down to the 5. And then on third and goal, you get sacked, which, you know, obviously not ideal, but you're only at the 14, so you say, hey, let's go get a field goal. Let's put some points on the board. And the special teams comes up once again to bite you in the butt. How do your players not understand that a blocked field goal is a live ball? How? How, as a special teams coordinator, do you not drill that into your players' heads? A blocked PAT is dead. A blocked field goal is 100% live. And Georgia realized that they didn't know what was going on and played LSU like a fiddle. Chris Smith just kind of sat there and was like, He stood there and he said, Oh, look, pretty ball. And then said, Ha! See ya. He was like, Wait, wait. Gone. Wait. Go. Gone. 96 yards for a touchdown. Okay, so you're down 7 nothing. Which 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 that baffles me because how do you how are you that close to the end zone as a kicker? It's not like you have to line drive it to make the distance. Just you can you can do an easy high arcing kick. Well, how are you this close and it gets blocked? Well, Usually, usually field goals get blocked whenever you're a lot farther back when you're in the fifties, because you have to you have to have it be more of a, a line drive. 
for you to make the distance. Right. Uh, and and it it like with with the extra points that were blocked early in the season, it was because the edge guys got past the tight ends. This time it was just the defensive lineman on the interior just kind of got over the long snapper and just kind of went up and got it. It's like how are you kicking it that low? So obviously when you're that close to the to the goalpost. So obviously that wasn't a great scenario, right? No. You're down 7 nothing. However, you're only down 7 nothing. What does your offense do? Answers immediately. Three plays, 75 yards, ties the game. Kayshawn Booty had a great, great play. Catch. Great catch, great run. So now I remember very vividly what I said in this moment. It's a brand new ball game. You're back at 0-0. And, and it's not like it was late in the game or anything. You were you're still in the first quarter. However, it was a erase that special teams blunder from your memory. It's a brand new ball game. Georgia, seven plays, 75 yards, scores. You know, sets a minute underneath route. All to McConkey. All Brock Bowers. Underneath to Brock Bowers. Underneath to McIntosh. All Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers had 50 yards on that drive. 50 of the 75 to Brock Bowers. Okay, so fine. You know, Georgia's got a great offense. They're going to put points on the board. You're good. Just answer. Pick. On a horrible throw. Right there in that moment, I knew when Jaden Daniels underthrew that pick, I knew he was done. I knew he was too hurt to even be in the game, and he shouldn't be playing. Okay, so he throws a pick. The first play of the drive from the LSU 22 is a 22-yard touchdown. And that's when I said, this is going to get ugly. Touchdown, punt, missed field goal, punt, touchdown, punt, touchdown. See, here's the problem. LSU could not capitalize on the few mistakes that Georgia did make. Like that missed field goal, you should have responded with points immediately. You went three and out. You gained, you threw three straight incompletions and punted it. Why? Why? I get you were down two scores, but it's literally the second quarter. You don't need to get away and I, obviously, the, you know, the running game wasn't great very early on. But, like, there was no reason to go out there and throw three straight passes to three different receivers, mind you. And then just punt it away. Right there, you let the game get out of hand. But then, the second half comes. Garrett Nussmeyer takes the field. And, lo and behold... The offense starts putting up points and bunches. And bunches and bunches and bunches. I was gonna say they, they were able to get they were able to get the yards for sure. I mean Jaden was able to throw for two hundred when he was on the field as you well. Scored, you scored twenty points in the second half. You scored twenty points. The best way that I saw this game get described was LSU's defense got hammered and LSU's offense took too long to respond. 
That, that's the best way I saw the game get described. LSU's defense got owned, and LSU's offense took too long to fight back. So, now, now look, because it wasn't because it wasn't till the end of the first half where they kicked that field goal. Correct. To make it 35-10. Correct. That's that's whenever they started because you had talked about the punt. Georgia had the missed field goal, so then it was like, okay, well, you're still down 21-7, but you could cut it back to a one-score game. But right. no, you had another three and out, and then you give up a touchdown. So now you're down three scores. You punt again, and and then they score again. Right. <laughs> it's just... And you know you look. It, at the, it just became starting to pile on. You look at the numbers, and LSU threw for 500 yards, which is an SEC championship game record. That's great. Woohoo! Georgia beat you both ways. Stetson Bennett threw for 274, and then they ran for 255. I mean, they owned you. In every aspect of this game, and to and re- it's and it's not like it's not like Stetson had to throw a bunch of passes. No, it was it was a very efficient day for him. Twenty three of twenty nine. And then you know you look at it, and you know logical thinking. LSU, obviously, should they have lost by twenty? Probably not. But was Georgia? widely known as the better team? Yes. LSU was not expected to win this game by pretty much everyone. However, I did think that LSU would put up a better fight than this. They didn't quit. They scored a lot of points in the second half, which, no, was, they, which they, was good to see. They fought all the second half, but, but it, it, it didn't matter because you were already down by so much in oh, the yeah. first half. You you basically played El Matador in, in in the first half and said, "Do what you want, score as many points as you want. We'll just stand here." So I mean, what what are you gonna what are you gonna do at that point? Um, but look, in hindsight, nine and four and playing in the SEC championship game, pretty good pretty good year for Brian Kelly in year number one. Um, obviously, you know, losing the last two games of the season aren't great. You still have the bowl game coming up. You got to win the bowl game now, um, because if you finish the season nine and five on a three-game losing skid, the perception of that is going to be horrible. You got to win the bowl game, uh, and I think I think Purdue is a very beatable opponent, an incredibly beatable opponent, actually. Um, I mean, they're good. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're not. They gave they gave Michigan a game, but. Yeah, I mean eight and five. Aiden O'Connell is a good quarterback. You got a couple good receivers there as well, but uh, this is definitely a a team that LSU can beat. So they're gonna have to get that done in Orlando on January the second. Kind of crazy that the same um the. The stadium that LSU is playing the bowl game in is the same stadium that they are starting the 2023 season in, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, they kind of get a little bit of a head start. Absolutely, you, you're going to have to. You, you got to use this opportunity. Look, you know, 
we're going to stay in this hotel. We're going to eat at these places. We're going to have walkthrough here, you know. And then in September, when you go back to play Florida State, do the same thing. Or, or maybe if it doesn't work out with her, you're like, this this hotel was kind of lame. This hotel was kind of lame. <laughs> Let's go to a different one. That way, it's like, okay, well, we're not going to mess with this one anymore. We're going to go to this one instead. You know what I mean? Yep. Or it's like, okay, I, I've noticed with this team, maybe we should have gotten on the bus and stuff maybe a little earlier. It. It's not that you necessarily need to do the same exact thing unless it absolutely works to perfection. You know what I mean? But it, it gives you kind of like that test run. Yep. The game wants to stuff your stocking with a $500 Visa gift card. It's the Christmas Comes Early sweepstakes presented by Armentar Jewelers. Simply enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score that $500 Visa gift card. It's that easy. The Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes, powered by Armentar Jewelers and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We'll hear from Brian Kelly and Makai Wingo up next here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. One of my favorite childhood memories is the whole family going Christmas tree shopping at Pollard's Rivers Bend Farm. It was always so hard to pick the perfect tree when every one was perfect. Pollard's Rivers Bend Farm is back in Lafayette for the 40th year. Open daily till 9, Pollard's has only quality Fraser and Turkish fir trees from 2 feet small to 14 feet tall. Beautify your home this Christmas with a tree from Pollard's. Ridge Road and Ambassador, Pin Oak and Collie Saloon, and in front of Albertsons and Broussard. You know a smart speaker is only as smart as the person using it. You big dummy. Time for you to be smarter and ask your Alexa to enable the game skill. My boy's wicked smart. You can enable it by saying the game Southwest Louisiana. So be smart and have your Alexa play the best live and local sports talk around. All right, let's get it. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Brian Kelly met with the media following his loss to Georgia in the SEC title game, and the Tigers head coach put it very simply. And yet in Saturday's game, the better team won. Well, congratulations to Kirby Smart and uh, University of Georgia on um, – being the SEC champs, uh, they were the better football team today. Proud of my team. Uh, proud of the fight that they um, they gave today. Uh, we were just a little short. Some key plays, obviously, in the game were, you know, pivotal. Obviously, the special teams play early. Um, inability to get off the field on third down, uh, fourth down, a couple of uh, opportunities that we had to, you know, convert. Um, so in its totality, I mean, you're talking about five or six plays where, you know, look, coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? The best team won today, but uh, I love the way our guys competed. They fought, um, and, and that's who they are. That's the identity of this team all year. Uh, and unfortunately, we were not clean enough in some of those areas uh, against uh, the number one team in the country. And when you're playing the best team in the country, for an SEC championship, those things. Brian Kelly also talked about how these back-to-back losses, both to A&M and to Georgia in the SEC title game, can't take away the progress that they've made. Well, I don't think there's you know anything that can take away from 
uh, what this team accomplished on the field relative to winning an SEC West championship. They won that on the field. Um, I, what I think it does is it, it, it brings into light clearly the progress that we've made um, and the things that we have to continue to work on. So I think it just, I think for everybody, it, it clearly defines who we want to be and that we're not there yet. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. We're not happy that we're not the SEC champs. That's not what we wanted today. We wanted to win this game. But we know where we're at. And, and we've clearly talked about what we need to do to be the SEC champs. And uh, that's okay. We need to go to work and get better at the things necessary for us to be better collectively, individually. And then you also heard from both Malik Neighbors and Makai Wingo, who were asked, what does it say about your team to fight through this game despite all the setbacks? Um, I would say I'm just glad the team fought. You know, that's what we've done all year. You know, we've had multiple comebacks and just different things. You know, I'm proud of the team. You know, I'm happy to go to war with these guys any day. And I would say we just fell back on our traits, you know, who we were. And we're a team that fight. I would say, you know, it doesn't, how we looked at it, it didn't matter what quarterback came in, you know. It was just plays to be made on the field. And I feel like Gary gave us, you know, opportunities to make plays down the field. And we did it in the second half. So I was very, you know, proud of the offense that we didn't give up. We just, you know, kept striving and just kept putting plays. Looking at some of the bigger, or, or just really all of, the bowl matchups here in 2022, 41 bowl games on the schedule. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns will play in the Independence Bowl against Houston. We'll hear from Cajuns head coach Michael Desermo in the second hour. Also, you know, looking at just some of the other games, LSU will play in the Citrus Bowl against Purdue. The Boca Raton Bowl will feature Toledo and Liberty. But one of the more interesting games, in my opinion, is going to be the Gator Bowl. James, Notre Dame and South Carolina. Uh, you know, South Carolina, Shane Beamer finished the season strong with, with wins over Clemson and Van uh, Tennessee. Beamer ball is alive and well in Columbia, and they're going to be playing a pretty good Notre Dame team. But question is, is Notre Dame's quarterback, Drew Pine, is in the transfer portal. So... How does that change the dynamic for the Irish in, in that game? That'll be interesting to see. That's always going to be a good matchup. The Sugar Bowl is going to be a great game between Alabama and Kansas State. You've also got the Dukes-Mayo Bowl with NC State and Maryland. Ole Miss and Texas Tech in the Texas Bowl. And Tennessee and Clemson in probably what has been called the most literal Orange Bowl in history because both teams' colors are orange. <laughs> the Alamo Bowl, Texas, and Washington. Oregon State and Florida in the Las Vegas Bowl. Shout out to our guy Brendan Ertle. He's going to Vegas, baby. The Holiday Bowl, Oregon, UNC. And then our good friends down I-10 in Tulane. Tulane's going to the Cotton Bowl for the first time in school history. Who do they get to meet up with? USC. A very angry Lincoln Riley than an even angrier Caleb Williams. 
who may not even play in the game actually, but that uh that should be interesting. Tulane only a four point underdog on the opening line. James, could 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 the could the wave make some magic happen in Arlington? You're telling me there's a chance. They're only four point dogs. I mean, granted, obviously the the line has time to grow, but I just I don't see four point. Maybe it goes up to ten. I was gonna say, but it also depends on. It depends. It, it depends, depends on, on Caleb playing, right? If he plays, obviously, you know the the they're lines, gonna, they're the gonna, line's gonna they're, jump. They're gonna push it back up. They're gonna um, probably make it about an eight, eight and a half. Troy and UTSA is also gonna be a pretty good bowl game in the Cure Bowl. Um, you can't. But but even before these bowls, we can't forget the Army Navy oh, on Saturday. You're you're right. You're right. Which, by the way, speaking of Army Navy. What is what is that game best known for? Running. Well, but b- besides that, <laughs> running the ball, their uniforms, the unis, and the unis this year are phenomenal. Navy coming out with a space-looking jersey, um, with, with a NASA logo on the on the helmet. And then Army is coming in with these Desert Storm kind of camel color khaki jerseys. And on the back it says, United We Stand with a camo helmet. I mean, these things are sweet. So Under Armour really doing work on the Navy uniforms. They they represent a a FA eighteen Super Hornet, and it's just it's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun game, um, with these with these two uniforms. Obviously, Army Navy is a historic matchup in the world of college football. Let's go to the hotline now. Seven zero six zero one one one. Mr. Jamie Green, how are you, sir? Good afternoon, Mr. Miguez. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. That's awesome. Look, I wanted to weigh in on the, the Tulane-USC game and, and uh, answer the poll question of the day, if I could. Yeah, absolutely. All right, awesome. So, uh, Lincoln Riley is 2-0 against the, the Green Wave. And last year, Tulane gave him all he could handle, and he barely pulled off that victory. It was like five points, I think, 40 Very or 35, true. something like that. So, I think this is the year that Tulane finally gets over that hump and gives him a loss. And sends them packing. Utah beat them twice. They're going to be mad. They're going to be even mad when uh, AAC uh, Tulane beats them. I think it's going to be a shootout, but I think that uh, Tulane's going to win forty to thirty-five this year. I, I like the confidence. Look, I'm hoping that happens anyway. I'm not a big Lincoln Riley fan. <laughs> right, right. I, I understand. I understand completely. And then, and then the poll question: What you got on that? Look. Everybody who knows me knows I'm a Buccaneers fan, have been since I was born, always will be. But the fact of the matter is the Saints have the Buccaneers number. They have for a while. And, uh, look, it hates me to say it, but I'm, I'm thinking the Saints are going to get back in the win column. Might be the only other win they have this season. 
But uh, I, I think the Saints are going to manage to do it. And they're going to, it's going to be a low scoring affair, though. I think it's probably going to be something like 12 to 7 or, or 14 to 7, something weird like that. Jamie, we can still change you. There's, no, nah, man. There's, there's still time. <laughs> Look, I like the Saints. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I like the Saints, but the Buccaneers are my team. What, and what your kind X of factor? Your X factor is going to be the defense. They're just going to shut down Tom Brady like they always do. I mean, Brady has an abysmal record against the Saints, and uh, they're going to shut him down. And it pains me to say that, but eh, you know, there's always next season. What what kind of color is pewter anyway? Like we can change you, Jamie. Look, man, I was so mad when they went to to the pewter maroon. Like, give me the creamsicle and white. That's what I grew up with. See, every, everybody everybody, everybody hates those creamsicle jerseys. I think they're fantastic. I think they're awesome. And if you ask any old school Tampa fan, they would prefer creamsicle and white to this mess we got now. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I I don't mind the the red color, but man, that that brownish pewter crap. It's bad. I'll say this, at least it hides the stains when they poop themselves when they play the Saints. Oh, God. I knew that was coming. <laughs> oh, Jamie, appreciate you as always, bud. Appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a great day. Oh, man. Three LSU players landed on all SEC teams. B.J. Ojolari and Harold Perkins on the first team. Makai Wingo on the second team. Ole Miss running back Quinshawn Judkins was named the newcomer of the year outlasting Harold Perkins, while Josh Heupel beat out Brian Kelly for Coach of the Year by one vote. We'll take a timeout, wrap up hour number one on the other side. Wilson Alexander joins us at the top of hour number two right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time, 4.53 right now. As we're wrapping up hour number one, taking a look at the poll question. What's the biggest X factor in tonight's Saints game? Is it the Saints offense? The Saints defense? Do you think it's Tom Brady or somebody else or a different unit, maybe a coach? Looking at it, uh, right now, Saints O, they are winning 53% right now. Saints D has 20% of the votes. Tom Brady has 13, while Other also has 13. couple of comments. John Paul. I got a lengthy one. Not really. Taysom Hill. He tore them up last year. Their defense is not as good as it was last year. And all of them DBs for Tampa are out. That is very true. They are doubtful. Uh, I don't know if I would necessarily say Taysom Hill torched them up. If you want to consider nine points torching them, sure. Uh, and then Steve Flint, salty Steve, said, Coach Prime, New Orleans needs him. Thoughts? Mm, I don't know. I don't know that I, I I want Coach Prime to to be in the NFL. You kind of want to s- see what he does against higher level college competition because we've. We've talked about this at nauseum, always mentioning Nick Saban. Some college, some really good college coaches just aren't meant for the NFL, which is fair, which is totally fine. We've seen it with Matt Rule. 
Um, something that we had mentioned was bowls before we took the timeout. There's an interesting one. The Fenway Bowl at Fenway Park. If you have seen the picture, go ahead and look on Twitter. Boy, it's interesting because of how the stadium is built. Both sidelines are going to be on the same side. That'll be that'll be interesting. And that, then, that won't cause any problems at all. And then also, you would you would make note of this because I didn't necessarily catch this at first, but the coach is going to be at since because it's going to be Cincinnati and Louisville for the Fenway Bowl at Fenway mm-hmm. Park. The coach that is currently at Louisville is going to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, good old Scott Satterfield, may, formerly maybe, at, formerly at App State. Maybe he pulls a. Uh, what we used to do at the playgrounds where it was like instead of being like all-time quarterback or all-time offense or weirdly enough all-time defense all-time coach <laughs> just tell just the other stand, guy you're good stand in the middle yeah kind of cuz there is a little patch for green yeah, just, on that on that wide sideline ju- just stand in the patch and just say look you do this you do that let's have teamwork let's work together guys let's work together teamwork one, makes the dream one work one common goal and that's making me money Anyways, um, how about how about this statistic? Transfer portal open today. Mm-hmm. Today, we've heard a lot of players, but how do you know how many? Six hundred and sixty-seven players have transferred. I'm really happy that we got that one extra in. Right, right. Yeah, you're you're so not lying there. Um, Six hundred sixty-seven. That's that's a career. That, I mean, that's a that's, that's a new record. That's a record, absolutely. Um, Sixty-two quarterbacks in the portal as well. Uh, that if that's not a record, that's got to be. But it's funny that we. Close. But it's funny that we say sixty-two quarterbacks have entered the transfer portal. About half of them are only going to get the starting job. Well, most of them, some of them are going to be going because they pretty much know that they're going to get the starting role. But then some of them are going for. QB competition more likely than not. Right. And like half of those aren't even going to end up getting the starting job. They're going to lose out. Is Tulane making more noise in the sports books than we thought? According to FanDuel, it's only one and a half. Ooh. Uh-oh. Hour number two coming up after this top of the hour sports update right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home. For the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour number two of Crunch Time right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh. In hour number one, we recapped the SEC Championship game. We heard from Brian Kelly as well as Makai Wingo. Looked at some bowl matchups, and we talked about Deion Sanders going to Colorado. In hour number two, we're going to talk about the Cajuns and their bowl matchup with Houston in the Independence Bowl. We'll hear from Michael Desermo later on in the hour. 
as well as previewing tonight's Saints game with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But first, let's put a bow on the LSU talk with our guy Wilson Alexander. It is time for Tiger Talk. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammered to left field. Going back, taking a look. is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Wilson, happy Monday to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are y'all this uh, afternoon? Uh, Doing well, man. Doing well. So, you know, if I would have told you in September that LSU was going to break the record for passing yards in an SEC championship game and still lose by three scores, would you have believed me? Well, in September, I would have been surprised that they were in the SEC championship game at all. Well, um, that's true. And so that would have been, that would have been the, the initial shock. Um I don't know. Maybe not necessarily because part of the reason that they were able to break that record is, um, you know, being down big in the second half. Uh, and then Garrett Nussmeyer is told to just kind of go be aggressive and he lets it rip and throws it all over the yard. And I mean, that was really impressive. It's something I'm kind of writing about right now, actually, for Toronto's papers, just what he showed in that game. And, um, so it wouldn't have, there have been a lot of surprising parts to that. Uh, but probably the most surprising would have been the fact that they were just in the game at all. Now, you know, a, a lot of people say that the game turned on its head when Chris Smith ran back that touchdown 96 yards off the blocked field goal. But the the way LSU's offense was able to respond right after, I mean, you made it a brand new ball game at that point. You were able to kind of, you know, or, or you could have wiped that play away from your memory. But from that point on, Stetson Bennett and the Georgia offense just turned it on to a whole nother level. Which was maybe anticipated because of what Georgia is. I mean, this is a number one team in the country in the college football playoff, defending national champions. Um, they are where they are for good reason, and LSU is trying to catch up to where Georgia is and turn into what Georgia is. The game, certainly, um, LSU needed to kind of have weird and bizarre plays go its way, and most of them didn't. Um, the blocked... Uh, field goal returned uh, for a touchdown, which, I mean, now it's a failure on LSU's part to not have that coached properly to know that that is a live ball. It looked like there were some Georgia players who didn't quite understand it either, but there was at least enough of them that knew what they could still do in that situation, and LSU wasn't there to defend it. But still, it was like plays like that, and the interception that bounced off Jack Brush's helmet, which is not nobody's fault per se i mean i was just wacky um but like every little thing like that kind of went against them and in a game against a team that is as good as georgia you got to have things like that go your way and and like you said the georgia offense turned it on um and was able to even though they really didn't play a perfect game they were able to keep lsu at arm's length uh whenever the tigers were trying to claw back you talked about all those breaks going Georgia's way. From from that perspective, did it just kind of feel like it just wasn't LSU's day? To a degree, sure. Um, but, I mean, LSU was a 17-and-a-half-point underdog, and it was going to have to um, really be its day for it to, to be in the game late and have a chance to win. And, yeah, there were about five, six plays that if they go into the other direction, then maybe LSU is in it late. And so maybe to a degree it was like, yeah, you can tell this wasn't breaking right, but there was just sort of like 
a really the case of a, a really good team uh, on the other side exerting itself and um, and sort of making its own luck at times. And an LSU in a situation where it needed everything to go right um, from pretty early on, it just didn't. You know, Brian Kelly said that the post game the the better team won, and and obviously in this game that was that was very true. However, you know, in in a game where maybe Jane Daniels was a little bit healthier, Josh Williams wouldn't have you know gotten his rhythm thrown off by missing the game against A and M. Maybe a couple other things. Maybe you have Mason Smith on the defensive line. Could that could those factors have been made this a much different game for the Tigers in your opinion? Um, Mason Smith being uh, being healthy all year uh, that would have just made LSU certainly an even better. A team. I mean, that was a really good defensive front. Makai Wingo stepped up in a massive way this season, playing a ton of snaps at a position where it's difficult to do so. And that would have changed some of what this team would have looked like to have him all year. But, um, you know, Jaden Brian Kelly said came into this game healthy and kind of re injured the ankle there in the second half. But with the way Garrett Nussmeyer played in the second, excuse me, in the second quarter, with the way Garrett Nussmeyer played in the second half, it, it sort of sort of equaled out um, in terms of your quarterback play. Um, in terms of like health and personnel, there's not much um, that would have needed to ch- that really could have changed for, to to completely alter the course of this game. Chatting with Wilson Alexander here on Tiger Talk. Now you know looking at, looking ahead, or, or really looking at the season as a whole, nine and four with an appearance in the SEC championship game. Obviously, you know fans and the team are, are very upset as after the way. Things have gone down over the last couple of weeks, but in hindsight, I mean, what a successful season in year number one for Brian Kelly, and you still have a little more to play for with the Citrus Bowl in a couple of weeks. This is a successful year. I mean, the fact that they got to um, eight wins was a success when the Vegas win total at a lot of places, at least certainly Caesar Sportsbook, was seven. Um, to get to that, even just by itself, was good. I mean, then to get to nine and and to win the West and to beat Alabama in overtime and like one of the greatest games in Tiger Stadium history, to have those kinds of moments, it was absolutely an achievement. To have things going on that you don't necessarily see all the time on the field, but just kind of a team coming together and accepting Kelly and beginning to adapt his changes, that was um, you know a, a success as well. And you know Kelly said yesterday that internally, um, even though he's lost these last few games, he's still really pleased with just the progress that they've made um, within the building and getting a new staff in and a new way of thinking and a new method. Uh, you know, he's been really pleased with that. And so um, this was absolutely an achievement of a year. Um, it was an achievement to get to the point where you've been at number five at any point in the season when they started the year unranked. And, yeah, the last two weeks have not been great. It could be a case. In, I mean, you ran into a buzzsaw in Georgia the A&M loss was, I think, in many ways unexcusable, but this also does look a, a little bit like a team that needs some rest and is getting worn down because it doesn't have a ton of depth built up yet. Um, it will, I think, be important just from the fan base perspective, and Kelly acknowledged this, to win the Citrus Bowl, just to kind of kind of wash out this. Uh, you don't want to you know, have a sort of a three-game losing streak heading into the offseason. It doesn't really, won't really influence what happens in 2023, but um, just to you know have that positivity there and, and kind of go out on a... On a um, you know, a positive note will be uh, just a little bit of a plus, but it doesn't even still erase what they've done this season. Last question about Saturday's game before we move on to the the upcoming weeks. Talk about the play of Garrett Nussmeyer uh, coming in to relieve a injured Jaden Daniels 
and really just you know slinging the ball around the yard and putting 20 points on the board for the Tigers. Yeah, he was impressive. Um, this was a lot of – this is really the first time where you saw, okay, everything that Garrett Nussmeyer says, everything that people say about Garrett Nussmeyer, you understand now why they are saying it. We've seen some moments in practice where you thought, wow, that guy's got really impressive arm talent. You hear it from talking to people around the program that he's got impressive arm talent. But, you know, he hadn't really shown it a lot, uh, especially against an opponent like a Georgia, um, yet in his career. And then you say, you see that, and you're like, okay, wow, this guy, he's got something um, that not a lot of other quarterbacks have. I mean, that's arm talent that you're not going to find just everywhere around the country, the way that he can make off-platform throws and escape from pressure to, and keep looking downfield and just launch balls um, across, well, you know, from the 20 to the other 20. Uh, I mean, that's, that's impressive stuff. You know, he's still got some things to clean up. He threw a, a touchdown into double coverage. Um, his first touchdown was he just was able to fit it over double coverage. Um, so it was a really good throw. But, you know, that's a situation where you kind of go, oh, boy, for a second. And then, of course, it was the fumble late, too. And so there's still some things. And Brian Kelly said they're going to have to clean up. But it was an impressive showing from him and makes you really excited about his future. Now, looking ahead, you know, the transfer portal opened today. A record 667 student-athletes entered the portal, including 62 quarterbacks. Is there any concern from from the Tigers camp about players entering the portal or maybe sitting out the bowl game, anything like that? It's something that's sort of all kind of getting figured out. And um, over Brian Kelly said yesterday was asked kind of that very specific question, and he said that they'd be having discussions with anybody um, who is uh, thinking about an opt-out, um, over the next, this was as of you know uh, Sunday night, 24 to 48 hours. That at least he was going to have a much better idea of kind of okay, who's going to be available for the Citrus Bowl, either because they're deciding to transfer or they're opting out to get ready for the draft. Um, and that, he said that ultimately they'll support those people either way. The transfer portal discussions have been going on for a while. He said a few weeks ago that that some of that stuff even started with the uh, at, during the bye week because um, it just happened so quickly after the start of the season, especially now for a team that was playing in Atlanta. Um, you needed to have those discussions early. And LSU's got a robust uh, personnel staff um, that is you know, working behind the scenes a lot on things like this for them to be ready and in a decent position. Obviously, we haven't seen any new LSU names come out today. That doesn't mean there won't be um, over the next 44 days that the transfer portal is open. Um, but and it'll be kind of sorting through all of that here over the next few days and have a much better idea, Kelly said anyway, of who will be playing in the bowl. And then obviously, you know, with the transfer portal, it can hurt you, but it could also very much help you if you make the right moves. Wilson, in your opinion, what's the biggest need for for the Tigers? Um, It's a a cornerback and defensive back in general is going to be, again, a position where else he's got to go to the portal unless it really trusts the development of the freshman behind the scenes, but they they came in with uh, portal guys this year there, um, and Jark Bernard Commerce was, uh, this was his last year of eligibility. Uh, Colby Richardson, who started for them at times and was a, you know, a depth piece uh, later in the year, uh, he doesn't have any more eligibility. Mekhi Garner um, could be somebody who goes early to the NFL, even though he has another year left. He walked on senior day, um, and those are your top three corners right there who could all be gone. Uh, safety looks a little bit more set up in, in a decent position, but even Jay Ward, you know, is draft eligible, and that's your your nickel. And so LSU is probably going to need to go in the portal to continue to build up the secondary while also 
bringing in uh, corners. This is a big class uh, and just at, at that position with a couple of guys like JV and Toviano and Desmond Rick still left to commit and possibly choose LSU. Um, so that one immediately comes to mind in particular. Um, offensive line, I think, is actually probably in a pretty good position. Maybe they still take an offensive lineman. Um, defensive line, maybe just to build up depth, depending on what uh, Jaquilin Roy does, if they need a tackle or something like that. But I think in the secondary is going to be uh, key, but they're not going to need it as much as they did the last year. Um, certainly not. Early thoughts. I know you probably haven't had the chance to look at them too much, but you know, early thoughts on Purdue and the bowl matchup in Orlando. Well, she's favored, uh, an early favorite in this game. I think that that makes sense. Um, Purdue is not a, is not ranked. It's a you know finished eight and four before going to lose to Michigan in the Big Ten. Uh, championship game, um, you know, you sort of off the top of your head think that LSU should have a good chance in that game. We'll just need to see, you know, who who does opt out and that kind of thing to have a better idea of um, who's available in, in, in the matchup. Um, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. First time that LSU and Purdue have ever played in football. Um, you know, Drew Brees' connection there as well. Um, so there's some kind of interesting storylines uh, for us to all talk about once we get closer to the game. Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joining us for Tiger Talk. Wilson, appreciate you as always, man. And uh, we'll do it again next week, talking some basketball. All right. Thanks for having me. Y'all have a good rest of your week. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Had a rough day at work. Got lady problems. Not to worry, because you have two wingmen right here. You can be my wingman anytime. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Breaking news during the timeout. First off, I just want to thank God for the position he has put me in. Without him, there would not be any opportunities. I would like to thank my family and friends for continuing to support me throughout my entire career, both in high school and at LSU. I want to thank the fans for supporting me through the ups and downs of my career. LSU has been nothing but amazing to me. My growth under the new staff has helped me to reach new levels. While we, while we did not achieve the overall goal, we still fought and produced results that will be a stepping stone for future success. The goal is always to win a national championship at LSU, and that will never change. We made strides this year, but ultimately fell short. This is why I believe we can accomplish many things moving forward. I believe in this team, coaches, strength staff, nutrition staff, and training staff. It is important to follow your dreams and live with the results. While some stories will end here, mine will not. Let's lock in and focus on the main goal of any LSU Tiger, winning a national championship. Kayshawn Booty. So number seven returns for his senior season. James, your thoughts? Initially, I I was shocked, but then at the same time, you really think about it. You like the progress that you've seen from LSU over the year. Kayshawn hasn't necessarily been a huge part of it because whether he's getting a lot more attention than maybe we don't really realize or something, but it feels like he doesn't have the production. He he hasn't put up the production that we all anticipated. And with that being the case, you're not going to leave a program and go to the NFL draft unless, or especially this early as a junior, you're not going to leave 
anticipating unless you anticipate that you're going to be like a first round pick or like an early first round pick, like one of the first three receivers taken. I mean, and and I don't think at this point maybe I don't even know if you would consider him top three or top five taken in this draft. Every mock draft I had that I was looking at had him, you know, early to mid twenties. Which which to me, if if we have like if we have the bar set for him, to me he should it his bar is ten top ten. You see, I I am I am shocked that he's returning. I did not expect that at all. I actually expected in in the coming days to to read an opt out that he was declaring for the draft. Uh, so, for for him to announce that he is returning, here here's the question: Could that entice a Jaden Daniels to say, "Okay, you know, Kayshawn's coming back. We do have some unfinished business." Maybe I'll come back. Could 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 that maybe draw Jane Daniels in? I think that could. I also look at how the last couple of games have gone. You lose to Texas A&M. You get injured. You get re-injured. And then you get blown out by Georgia. Even if... Even if you beat Purdue, it's it's not like that would be a great taste in the mouth. You know what I mean? It's not like you would declare the NFL draft at that point. It feels like you have unfinished business at that point. Correct. You feel like you made those huge strides at that point. I want to come back one more year and show them what I can do. But then the the question becomes, you know, we, we talked all off season this year and, and throughout the season, the growth – the growth and the strides that Walker Howard has made. Say a Garrett Nussmeyer finds a, a better opportunity elsewhere and, and enters the transfer portal. Which is what I fully anticipate. Which is, is fully anticipated. Could es- Especially after the performance that he showed yesterday. Could, could Or on Saturday, I mean. Could Walker beat out Jaden Daniels? Because, I mean, a, a, a talent in today's college football, a talent like Walker Howard, I mean, does he really sit for another year? That's an interesting uh, interesting dynamic to look at. Let's go to the hotline. Darren, what's up? Yeah, what you think about Keyshawn coming back and just having a, a, a season like Devontae Smith had uh, his final season? What, a, a Heisman winning season? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I could I could see that if if the if the quarterback situation's right. Yeah, it, it, depending on the quarterback, you know, I mean, like if Walker Howard was the quarterback, or just say one of the quarterbacks that's coming out of the transfer portal, just the right quarterback. I'm not saying any kind of quarterback. Just and then, the right and then obviously, obviously, Kayshawn's going to have to be healthy himself. Yeah, he's going to have to be healthy. But just to say, you know, the chemistry, you know how. Kayshawn probably came up with, with the 7-on-7 seven seven system. You know how all these guys work together and Walker Howard's from the area. If Walker Howard's probably the quarterback and they have that chemistry coming up together, it, they, they, that's probably what he's coming back for, just probably to show that he's that guy who, from his freshman, sophomore season. That's all I have to say. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. Thanks for, thanks for the call, Darren. All right. So looking at... The 
draft boards for the the, the quarterback. Uh, this is according to this is a, a, a site that I found online. You've got Jaden Daniels. You see, it, it, it's very skewed depending on you know where you look and whatnot because some sites have Jaden Daniels as a top 10 quarterback on the draft boards and then some sites have him at like number 20. So like it's very skewed depending on where you look. I'm interested to see does Jaden Daniels thinks he has does he have what it takes to you know go be a third fourth round draft pick or is there a system somewhere else that maybe fits him a little bit better or you know things that that's something that you're going to have to pay attention to over the coming days because that could alter cuz here's the thing we talked about Garrett Nussmeyer transferring if he transfers before the bowl game say Jane Daniels does the same obviously playing in a full game for Walker Howard will not affect his eligibility he would still be a redshirt freshman next year uh, but you, you might see Walker Howard play four quarters of football in a couple weeks. Let's go to the hotline now. Max, what's up, man? Hey, so I'm no J.D. hater whatsoever. I, I think he did amazing for what he had this year, for what he had to do for us. But I don't believe his game transitions to the NFL, and here's why. He's not built to take those licks when he makes them runs. He's still only like 185 pounds at like 6'3", or whatever he is. He, his game just won't transition like it does. I would have said, you know, after the Alabama and Ole Miss game, yeah, a good chance he was going to the NFL. But since then, he's had a lot of bad games. And not terrible, you know, still won the ones that we really needed, and he was banged up for A&M. But there's just no way we can keep all three quarterbacks. You know, you got Howard Walker, who was always prepared to redshirt. That was always his plan. And now it's game time for him, meaning in his mind, it's time for him to compete for the job. And if not, then him and his dad might sit down and start to discuss some things because he's going to be a quarterback somewhere, whether it's for LSU, which is where he wants. And then you have Jaden and Nuss. I was talking with coworkers today. This this is, you know, my for nothing prediction, as I call it, because I'm a nobody. You got Jaden and Nuss. If Jaden comes back, then – does Nuss just feel like he can beat out Jaden? I, I think I think Nussmeyer's transferring regardless. You think Nuss is transferring no matter what? Yep. Why? Uh, to be honest, I thought Nuss would transfer before the season started. Uh, I was I was surprised that he stuck all of twenty twenty two in Baton Rouge, and after the performance he just had in the SEC championship game, he could go be a starter somewhere. He can, but let's. You know, if we're being realistic, we can't ignore the fact that Nuss is, you know, I think uh, RP3 said it the best. He, he's got that Brett Favre in him. He's got trust in his receivers, but almost too much. Right. He he did he didn't beat out Jaden because in spring ball and and you know the uh, purple gold game he was throwing interceptions left and right. That's his knock on his game. Now he's had time to learn. He's gotten better. Had more practices, but game speed, not just. You know, I, I had no problem with what he did. We were down by a ton. Of course, go out there and bomb at 60 yards every pass, and I'm good with it. You might get offensive, you might get pass interference, or you might get a catch. I'm good with either way. We were losing. That's the game plan. But you can't play like that every game, every time, every out. No, that, that's so, true. 
I, I just think there's pluses and minuses to, to both the guys being Jaden and Nuss, where they got good. You know, they have their good parts, which is Nuss has got the strong arm, pocket pass, and throwing guy. Jaden's the mobile that's, you know, sometimes hesitant to throw deep and definitely leans on his run game a lot. And then you have Howard, who we don't quite know yet, but we know what his, you know, his recruit looked like. We know what he looked like at FCM. I don't see them all three staying. I, I definitely agree with that. But if they would happen to all stay, if that's even if Jaden comes back, then you have a true three across the board QB battle. If Howard beats them all, I think they both transfer. If Nuss or Jaden would still beat out Howard, then I think the third one would opt out and transfer. But you um, know, there's just so many unknowns. I'm I'm going to stick to what I've said since the beginning of this season. Walker Howard's going to be the starting quarterback next year. I, I still believe that. I'm not. I can't disagree. But my only issue is just like high school, there's there's a tick up in speed when you go to college. Just like from college, there's a tick up in speed to NFL. You know, you can always say this guy's going to be great. Uh, I bet you Clemson thought BJ was going to be phenomenal, but it don't always work. No matter how high star you were, no matter how, you know you'd be number one overall everything recruit of the world. Sometimes it just don't pan out. I mean that, I that's true, but that, that doesn't but that, that that doesn't take away from the fact that I still think he's going to start. Whether whether he turns out to be a number one draft pick remains to be seen. But I mean, I like, like no, I said, but what, I, what I'm saying is, what if what if he actually gets on the practice field, everything's going good, he's named the starter, and all of a sudden, you know, when whenever the defense ramps it up in them final couple practices, he just can't. He ain't got it. Well, he ain't gonna be the starter. DK ain't that stupid. I mean, like I mean, I, I I don't disagree with that, but I just like like I said, I I don't believe that that's going to be the case. I mean, well, a lot of unknowns. It's, Brian, it's a good spot to be in. You know, we're talking about three competent quarterbacks that could, you know, all of them could do phenomenal. It's a great problem to have. And then we got that uh, the other one that just tweeted a couple days ago coming in also. So then you add a fourth into the mix. You know, it's Brian Brian a great Kelly have compared to what we used to. Brian Kelly's talked all season long about how uh, Walker Howard has, you know, outshined most freshman quarterbacks that, that he's ever seen and how he's grasping the system faster than they ever thought that he could. Um, so Walker made a lot of strides this year, and I think he's going to have a tremendous offseason. Like I said, I'm going to stick to what I've been saying. I think he's going to be the starter uh, come September of 2023. Well, I'll finish with this. I'm just glad Bama didn't squeak their back door in. I'd, I would have rathered them over Ohio State. Uh, not me. I hate Bama. Well, I mean, so so do I, but Bama deserved it more. Appreciate the call, man. Later. Take a timeout. When we return, James Yarko of Locked on Bucks and Bucks Nation will join us for a conversation about tonight's Monday night football game between the Saints and the Bucks right here on the game. 23-7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. 
One of the things I love about betting on the NFL is that I'm always finding new players or game props I like. And what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout. Perfect for tonight's game. I'll take the under on total points scored, the Bucks money line, and then a Rashad White anytime touchdown. Same game parlays are just one of the reasons why I bet with FanDuel. It's easy to place your bet faster in a game if you see a trend that you like. There are odds boosts and specials each day and some big super boosts each weekend around the biggest local and national matchups. There's no feeling nailing a same game parlay bet, so lock in your bet today on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get $150 in free bets, win or lose with promo code KLWB. That's promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or something you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Thanks, James. Although you're sounding a little bit like a Bucks fan with that parlay that you've got going on there. But, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Well, I mean, I do kind of have a feeling of what's going to happen tonight. Oh, God. Okay. Anyways, the Saints traveling to Tampa tonight to take on the Buccaneers in a Monday night football matchup. Joined now by James Yarko of Locked on Bucks to talk about the game. James, thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Excited for some Monday night football, though it's not exactly the uh, exciting game we all thought it was going to be when the schedule dropped. So, you know, looking at the, this game, you know, lo- looking at Tampa, really, you start off 2-0 and on the season, including a 20-10 to win o- over the Saints. And, and since then, James, they've gone 3-6. and What's different about this team than the Bucks team that was on the field in New Orleans in Week 2? Uh, between those two weeks, I mean, really – not a lot. Uh, you know, the offense struggled out out of the gate in week one against the Dallas Cowboys and then in week two against the Saints. And it was it was the fight between Lattimore and Evans that led to kind of an eruption for the Buccaneers defense, which is really what led them in that game. So it's been a, a frustrating season. You you go into the season replacing two guards and then you're starting all pro caliber center goes down on day two of training camp and so you've, you've had the issues with the offensive line. You know, there's been a lot of complaints about the, the play calling and how it's, it's no longer a no-risk-it, no-biscuit offense anymore. It's very conservative. They lean very heavily on the defense to kind of lead these games. It, it harkens back to the Bucks teams of the late 90s, early 2000s, where you know they're, they're losing in the playoffs 11-6 to because they can't get in the end zone. So... It's it's been a very trying season for Tampa Bay and their fans. You know, looking at the running game for the Bucks, Rashad White is a guy that's really stood out this year, kind of carving out a role for himself in this offense. What have you seen out of him? And with Leonard Fournette expected to be back tonight, any chance they split touches? I think you're looking at, at closer to a 50-50 split compared to what we saw between the two earlier in the season. Rashad White has proven over the course of the last two games that he can get the job done. He's a very effective runner. He's elusive. His vision is fantastic. And he's a weapon in the passing game. And beyond that, you know, for a rookie to 
be willing to stick his nose in there and, and pick up blitzes and not be scared of the contact. It, it's really uh, been an, an absolute pleasure watching him play this year. Rashad White is a very, very capable and talented football player. And we we haven't seen, you know, the the playoff Lenny type of Leonard Fournette performance really outside of of the first week against the Dallas Cowboys. And he was on pace for, you know, absolutely destroying his career highs in terms of snap counts and touches. And and it was going to wear him down. So he had come out and, and he had a sit down with Rashad and Keyshawn Vaughn saying, look, you guys, your time is coming. I'm going to need your help. I can't do this by myself. And now Rashad has become more and more acclimated to the way that this offense runs. He's gotten more comfortable in his role and he's a legitimate three down starting caliber running back in the NFL. So now that Leonard Fournette is back, they can kind of split those carries a little bit more and uh, really create some problems for opposing defenses. We got word a little earlier in the day that Marshawn Lattimore is a no-go for tonight. Does that lead to Mike Evans kind of feasting tonight and have a really good game? Because we know that Marshawn has kind of had his number for a majority of his career. Yeah, I don't know if that leads to Mike Evans really going off or not. You know, we've seen Chris Godwin, who's pretty much back to being healthy. I think it's safe to say he's really been the guy the last couple of weeks. And for whatever reason, there's been a disconnect between Tom Brady and Mike Evans. You know, we saw four different deep passes to Evans last week against the Cleveland Browns, and, and all of them were off the mark. Now, Brady has come out and, and said that, you know, they're they're being more competitive in practice to win those one-on-ones, and Mike Evans has come out, and, you know, I, I know Saints fans hate his guts, but Mike Evans is the ultimate team guy. He always puts the team before himself and and he came out and he's not going to throw his quarterback under the bus he said brady's reading everything right it's on me i'm used to getting separation i'm not getting that uh you know i'm i need to be better and and he kind of put all of it on his own shoulders so there's there's been kind of a, a weird lack of chemistry between the two you know for a stretch this season if that gets back on track tonight that's great news for bucks fans but i i need to see it you know, before I believe it, really. Chatting with James Yarko, you know, Tristan Wirth being out on the Saint, on the Bucks offensive line, excuse me, how much does does that loss kind of affect Tampa's offense and, and Tom Brady's ability to, you know, kind of have some time in the pocket? A ton. There's, there's no question about it. This offensive line was already struggling out of the gate with a rookie, Luke Gedeke, playing over at left guard, and, and he's been replaced now by Nick Leverett. You have Robert Hainsey, who never played center in his life, and and he's the starting center now in place of Ryan Jensen. And and you have Shaq Mason at guard. Donovan Smith has struggled at left tackle. The the one constant, the one guy you could always count on was Tristan Wirfs. He's arguably the best right tackle in all of football. So losing him is absolutely brutal. So I look for the Buccaneers to, again, not take a lot of deep shots. The the Saints pass rush has time and time again gotten after whoever the quarterback in Tampa Bay is, let alone a guy that's a statue back there like Tom Brady is. So I look for a lot of quick passes, a lot of screens, a lot of dump offs to Leonard Fournette or Rashad White. They love utilizing Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, and Julio Jones in that quick wide receiver screen game. Uh, I expect a lot of that. They are not going to plant Tom Brady back there for 
two to three seconds with, you know, 80% of the offensive line being backups, it's, it's just not going to happen. So uh, it, it definitely affects their, their aerial threat, but if they can dink and dunk their way all the way down the field, that's exactly what they'll do to make sure that Tom Brady stays healthy. Talk about some players on the Bucks defense that's really going to have to step up for Tampa with, you know, three DBs being doubtful for tonight's game. Yeah, we saw some of Zion McCollum earlier in the year, and it, it was kind of trial by fire for him. He's a, a day three pick and has a great athletic profile. I talked to Antoine Winfield Jr. during training camp about Zion McCollum, and Winfield just absolutely gushed over how athletic, how smart he is, but it's all about adapting to the NFL game, which he's he's getting there, but it's it's quite a drop-off compared to Sean Murphy bunting. And then you take a look, Antoine Winfield Jr., he's playing, He ha- he's having an all-pro season. And he really has been kind of driving this Buccaneers defense all year. Mike Edwards, who was a big problem for the Saints in week two, with those two guys out, I mean, it, it could be real tough. You're going up against players like Jarvis Landry and, and Chris Olave and Marquez Callaway and these guys that can stretch the field. And when you have Keanu Neal and Logan Ryan back there, and, and this is Ryan's first game back in over a month, uh, it can it can become a big problem for this Buccaneers defense, who is still one of the best in the league. They're in the top five in, in points allowed this season. And, uh, you know, they've, they've kept the Buccaneers in a lot of these games. But when you don't have three of your starters in the secondary, things can open up for the opposing offense, especially. And, and I I can't say enough good things about how great of a wide receiver Chris Olave is. And, you know, it it is definitely concerning for Buccaneers fans that Winfield and Edwards will not be out there. You you mentioned a couple uh, of receivers for the Saints, and then even earlier I talked about the defensive line. Who was who one player that you really think would stand out in this game for the Saints that could kind of be the reason why the black and gold are able to get the win tonight? Uh, it really it really pains me to say this, but I I think it's the the wild card, the X factor in every Buck Saints game, and it's Taysom Hill. I realize he's kind of he hasn't been all that impressive lately. You know, Juwan Johnson has really stepped up and and played well, and and I'm a University of Dayton guy, so of course I love Adam Troutman, but Taysom Hill is that ultimate X factor, and with Juwan Johnson out, the versatility that the Saints offense can bring with Taysom Hill running out of the Wildcat, lining up at tight end, splitting out wide. You know, he has given the Bucks fits. And so they're going to be focused on Olave and Jarvis Landry and Callaway and Shahid and all these guys. But Taysom Hill is that weapon that you really just can't plan for because you never know what his role in any given play is going to be. With Juwan Johnson not playing and, and Taysom Hill likely getting a larger role in the offense tonight, he's the guy that I've kind of circled that, that concerns me in this one. And then also, looking at it, do you consider this a must win? Because even if the Bucks lose tonight, they would still be in first place technically by a half game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, they would be in first place and they would have the tiebreaker against the Falcons and as it stands right now they would still have the tiebreaker against the Saints even with the season split but I absolutely view this as a must win really what the Buccaneers have to do at this point and it it stinks to say it 
is they just have to focus on the division games. They just need to beat the Saints, the Falcons, and the Panthers the rest of the way, and they're going to the playoffs. It'll be with a losing record if they lose the other games, but they'll be going to the playoffs, and all you need to do is get an invite to the dance, and anything can happen. So it, it's it's needed for you know the divisional race. It's needed for the playoff race. But most of all, it's needed for that locker room to kind of take a step back you know, let out a little bit of a sigh of relief and say, look, we can do this. We have all the talent you could want. We have 90% of our Super Bowl roster still in here. These struggles shouldn't be happening. Something has to give for this offense to really turn it around. The defense has been great, as I've mentioned, but something has to give for this offense. The Buccaneers have not scored a touchdown at home against the Saints since the arrival of Tom Brady. So... They have to go out there and win that game, if nothing else, for the mental aspect of kind of getting over that home. James, who wins tonight and why? I'm going to take the Buccaneers. Um, as I said on the Locked On Bucks podcast, if they lose this game, I won't pick them to win the rest of the year. But I, I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be close. And I still am of the mindset where if I have to take one quarterback to go out there and will his team to a victory when their back is against the wall. I'm taking Tom Brady every single time. And I think that's the situation the Buccaneers are are facing tonight. So I'll take them to win this one, but it's going to be ugly. It's going to be low scoring and it's going to be close. James Yarko joining us here on Crunch Time. James, appreciate you as always. Enjoy the game tonight and uh, we'll talk to you again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Look forward to talking to you guys again soon. And there he goes, James Yarko of the Locked On Bucks podcast. The Saints travel to Tampa Bay to take on the Bucks. Can the black and gold pull out a win? God, we hope so. Tune into the game tonight to find out. Pre-games at 7. Kickoff is set for 7.15, and you can hear it right here on the game. 23.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. We'll wrap it all up after this. Your Alexa or Google Home speaker can help out around the house. It controls your lights, your thermostats, and so much more, but it can also play the game. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana and have the game 1037 Lafayette at 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. Wrapping up today's show, the Heisman finalists are out. Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett, TCU quarterback Max Duggan, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, and USC quarterback Caleb Williams. Are we surprised that it's all four quarterbacks? No, we're not. Saints win tonight. That's my that's my prediction. And if if I'm wrong, we you can roast me right here tomorrow, same time, same station. Thanks to Wilson Alexander and James Yarko for joining us. James Mesh, appreciate everything you do. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well. Hug your mom and them. Same time tomorrow, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Catch the Saints game right here on our airwaves tonight, pregame at 7 o'clock.